Genesis chapter 3, and we're going to read verses 1 through 8. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Amen. Father God, we come before your word. I pray that you would enable me to clearly communicate it, that you would bless us as we hear it and seek to live it out. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Christian and Prosperity, we're back in our series again, and so far we've spent nine um, sermons on looking at some of the foundational principles uh, related to uh, prosperity, actually uh, every area of prosperity, not just uh, finances. Our theme verse has been 3 John, verse 2, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper, what does he say, in all things, and be in health just as your soul prospers. We cannot, we simply cannot say that the Bible is only interested in soul prosperity and ignores our physical prosperity. The two go hand in hand. You cannot separate uh, the two, really. And um, we can't spiritualize away the Bible. Now, heaven is an incredibly important topic. We need to be preparing. We're absolute fools if we're not laying up treasures in heaven. Uh, Our soul prosperity is very, very critical. But we're ignorant of laying up treasures in heaven, and we're ignorant of our soul's prosperity if we're ignoring the things that God talks about tangibly in the here and now. Um, You look up sometime the 526 times that the word bless, blessed, and blessing occurs in the Bible, and you will be shocked at how many of those, by far the majority, I think, how many of those relate to very tangible things. You'll see God's interested in things like giving you fertility, Uh, blessing you financially, many tangible blessings. He pours out good crops and things like that that he blesses us with. Now, we've already seen as well that uh, you cannot separate this tangible blessing from our spiritual prosperity, or at least living out the biblical blueprints. There are times, for example, that God economically blesses unbelievers more than believers because they're living in terms of the economic principles more than uh, we believers are. But uh, the, the laws of God have to be uh, lived out hand in hand with, um, uh, for those outward blessings to, to come into our lives. Now, we've looked at some of the foundational principles. From here on in, what I want to do is start looking at practical issues that can make the difference between prosperity and barely getting by all of your life. Uh, why is it that some Christians, no matter how much money they get, still have a hard time paying their bills, have a hard time getting 
making ends meet. Well, I know why it is in most of the cases. It's because as their income goes up, so does their spending habits. They're investing in liabilities instead of investing in assets. And uh, uh, they have not learned how to develop sales resistance. And I believe sales resistance is one of those critical issues that needs to be in place if we're to prosper in every area of our lives. Not just in finances, if we're to prosper in the other areas as well. Uh, we can be suckered just as easily on, um, on uh, sin as we can on financial issues. And so, you know, it applies very, very broadly. But I want to start by admitting that, that uh, I've been suckered big time in the past. I remember shortly after we were married, uh, we got a flyer. Actually, it wasn't a flyer. It looked like a notification that we had won this large TV. It was a beautiful, great big Mongo TV and a, um, uh, a camera and a poster. And all we needed to do is come pick it up and listen to a little sales speech uh, about this lakeside property that they wanted us to buy into. Now, I'm not dumb. I knew that they were going to try to pressure me into buying this. I'd seen my relatives actually pressured into buying things like that where they were planning not to do it. You know, this letter looked like there is no way that they would be able to get out of giving us that TV. I looked and I re-looked. They had to give us all of these things. Now, I just want to find out, has anybody else here been suckered on things like that? Nobody. Nobody's as stupid as the pastor is. <laughs> okay. Uh, boy, did we get taken in big time on this. I was suspicious. I really was suspicious. I'd seen these kinds of things, and I read and reread it, asked Kathy, is there any way that they could interpret it? I mean, it just looked like a sure thing. They had to give us this TV if we sat through this sales speech. Now, Kathy's a whole lot more suspicious than I am, so she, um, she uh, read it. You know, We looked through that, and, and uh, it just looked like a, a sure thing. So off we went to one of the most miserable, humiliating experiences that we've ever had in our lives uh, as uh, this person tried to uh, pressure us into uh, buying this property. It was hour after hour of badgering and manipulating and making us feel guilty. Now, at any time, we could have gotten up and walked out of there, but, you know, you've been there an hour, you're thinking, it's just about done, you know, surely I can get my TV now, and there's always that carrot, you know, hanging at the end. And finally, I don't know how many hours were we there? Four or five hours, that shows you how, what an idiot I am, but four or five hours. I was young, I was inexperienced back then, and uh, I, I, we finally got up, so this is ridiculous. You know, we've kept our end of the bargain, we want our TV, we're out of here. And then he showed us, I don't know if it was a semicolon or some grammatical technicality, which if you really tried hard, maybe you could read it that you had to buy the property to get the TV. It was yours if you bought the property. Anyway, we got the camera and the, and the uh, poster, and guess what the camera was? It was a plastic camera with a plastic lens and a plastic shutter, and it probably worked. I mean, at least it moved, you know, when you clicked with the clicker thing. <laughs> I'm sure it wore out, you know, before, it would have worn out before even one uh, roll of film. We just walked out of there with our tail between our legs, and uh, that was an incredibly miserable experience that we had. Now, since then, we have never been fooled by such marketing. In fact, I don't even bother opening it up. I just flip it right into the garbage. Don't waste my time uh, on that. But we've been fooled in other ways 
We've been fooled looking at uh, advertising or salespeople who will uh, just have incredible marketing on a given product. Advertising many times raises desires as well that was not there before. Here's what one person said. Advertising has the intriguing ability to make you think that you need something you didn't even know existed a few moments before. Isn't that true? Oh, you just feel like you need it. You didn't even know it was there before. And I want to focus all of my attention this morning at helping us to develop a strong sales resistance so that when you do buy, you're buying for covenant reasons. You're buying for the right reasons, okay? You're not being manipulated into buying what you're doing. And by the way, this will help you in uh, uh, not getting quite as easily suckered into sin or quite as easily believing what politicians uh, tell you or maybe uh, some promise of alternative medicine or what some, some traditional medicine has told you. Uh, it's going to make you uh, much more cautious. But anyway, let's take a look at Satan's sales job on Eve. And I should mention before I go into this that Advertising can be incredibly powerful. Many people have gotten taken in and fooled over and over again. Think of Eve. Here was Eve, who did not have a sinful fallen nature like we do that Satan could take advantage of. Uh, she uh, did not have uh, a bad environment. She didn't have to worry and fear about old age and sickness and poverty. Uh, that's one of the things that people really, mar you know, market after heavily. They take advantage of people who have those fears. She had an abundance of food, had abundance of absolutely everything. Um, she was the crowning achievement of all of God's creation. And if Eve, perfect in nature, a perfect environment, if Eve could be taken in and deceived, and the scripture says she was deceived because of her lack of experience, if she could be deceived, it's no wonder that we get taken in over and over again as well. And I'm going to be looking at typical sales tactics of people. In fact, uh, Lee, if you would, uh, we've got three overheads here. Just put up one at a time, cover the rest. Um, uh, we're going to look at typical sales tactics that people and advertisers use. We're going to take it straight from the text here. And that is not to imply that advertisers are demonic, okay? That's just to say Satan is the best advertiser of all. I mean, he knows what he's doing in this passage here. And um, uh, let me give credit as well. Uh, even though I've changed mo uh, several of his principles, uh, I got the idea for this from Bill Gothard in a book. Uh, he gave 12 uh, tactics, and I've just developed them more fully and added some of the other features for these. And so let's take a look at verse 1. What is the most common of features that you will find in almost all advertising today? And it is this, association. Association. Did I put the word association up there? Tying I put in there. You might want to just write down the word association. What they will do is they will try to tie the product or associate the product with a gorgeous woman or a very attractive man, a successful person, or they will associate it with beautiful things and places. Usually it's a beautiful model or somebody famous. I saw this done very, very cleverly uh, during our vacation up in Minnesota with a health product, but um, you've seen it yourself. What does a car have to do with the, you know, the beautiful woman that's lying on top of it? Nothing. What does the woman who's gazing into your eyes seductively have to do with the computer she's draped around? Nothing. She probably doesn't even know how to use that computer for crying out loud, right? 
but <laughs> but um, uh, they want to arouse a feeling. They want to arouse a, a lust or a desire and associate it so closely with the product that they are selling that over a period of time, your body is conditioned to link that lust or that desire with the product itself. You desire that product. Okay, what is a... What is a football player, a, a um, uh, you know, what is a talk show host or whatever? What do they know about the, the ins and outs of nutrition of this uh, multivitamin that they're, that they're promoting? Probably not a thing. They've just got big bucks to do it. What happens typically is that they will associate uh, this product with some kind of a model or some kind of a beautiful thing, place, or person. Well, Satan did that by tying his allurement to eat of this tree to the wisest, most beautiful creature of the time. Now, God later on deformed this creature, so it was almost unrecognizable from what it was his former beauty. But verse 1 says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. There it's emphasizing the wisdom. Ezekiel 28, 12 through 13 says, Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty, you were in Eden. So whether it's a reference to the snake which Satan was inhabiting or it's a reference to Satan himself, Satan, it, what he is doing is he is tying wisdom and beauty together with the snake oil that he's trying to sell to these people. Okay, And it's a very, very effective uh, strategy then. It's been effective for selling sin and, and shoes and computers and everything else uh, ever since that time. They don't sell Nikes based on the quality of the product, even though it may have quality there. They sell it based upon who is wearing it. You know, they'll get some kind of a sports figure who will wear that. In fact, sometimes if you examine the ads, you will find that the association is so strong, sometimes they will emphasize almost to the total exclusion of talking about the product at all. What are the features of the product? Don't even mention it in the ad. To them, that's not important. It's the association that's important. So how do you develop sales resistance to this tactic? And by the way, if you come up with any other brilliant um, uh, ideas for sales resistance, please let me know. These are the only ones I could come up with in the brief uh, uh, time, limited time I had this past week. But first of all, ask hard questions. What are they hiding? Uh, what are they hiding? If you have to bring in something that's utterly, un, utterly unrelated to the product in order to sell the product, perhaps they're hiding something. Not necessarily, but maybe they're hiding something. Um, here's another question. What does a smiling woman in a bikini have to do with a car? If it's nothing, what you need to do is separate the glitzy packaging from the product itself, and you need to do research. Now, most people are too lazy to do the research to actually analyze the product, they, they buy based on gut feelings. Well, that's precisely what this tactic is brilliant in, 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 in um, what is it? I can't think of the word. You'll have to read my mind. In getting, but that's not the word. It's exactly what it goes after. And especially with lust, uh, you know, it can be like a free-floating emotion that over a period of time, gets transferred from one thing to the other. It's just a brilliant move that they have. Or you could ask, what does the football player know about nutrition and Wheaties? And is that all he eats for breakfast? Well, I doubt very much that's all that he eats for breakfast. So ask questions. Secondly, do research. Eve could very easily have checked out the credentials of Satan. 
Thirdly, learn to depend more on logical analysis than you do on the eye gate. The eye gate can be so easily deceived. Let me just give you uh, another illustration. Uh, when we bought, it, it was the same year that we bought uh, Kathy uh, her station wagon. We were looking for something to replace the Buick. And um, we uh, ran across just an incredible, I forget what the model was. It was an incredible, it was a juiced up, it had every option on it. It was beautiful, absolutely gorgeous for the price that they were asking. It just seemed like it was too good to be true. Now, I didn't want to trust my sight. I took it to Coburg's Diagnostic Center, and Coburg says, man, this is a dog. You don't want to buy it. It's going to die any time. And sure enough, it died on the way out of the bay, <laughs> and they had to tow it away. Now, my eyes would never have told me that, right? My eyes, I had to do further investigation. Our eyes would not tell us that. And advertisers are experts at using the eye gate to overwhelm us, to push for an immediate decision just based on what we have seen. And so we need to recognize this weakness. It's just inherent in our nature and the way we are and develop sales resistance. Well, let's look at the second tactic. Genesis 3, verse 1, second sentence, it says, And he said to the woman. Now, why did he talk to Eve rather than talking to Adam? And I believe that the reason is that Satan loves He's in a habit of bypassing authority structures. And I think you'll see advertisers do the same thing all the time. You'll see advertisers marketing children and wanting them to be the ones who make the decision. When you go through the grocery checkout line, what do you find at the grocery checkout line right at the eye level of the children? It's candy and gadgets and things they want. Why? Because the advertisers want the children making the decision, not the parents making that decision, right? And uh, so that, that's basically what is going on here. Now, there are, there are times where you'll get a telemarketer, and uh, if the man is present, uh, they're not going to want to talk. They want to talk to the woman because that's the person who has the weak area on this product. We're going to be looking in the next point. There are times when they will do the opposite, like in our house where they will, if Kathy answers, they'll hang up. They want to talk to me because they know I'm weak in that particular area, and they will go after that. But here, it's the issue of authority. And so I just want to stick to the authority issue, not the discussion issue. And we need to realize that the family is a covenant unit, and the purchases that are made are going to affect the family as a whole. And so there needs to be an authority structure. There can be delegation where, you know, Kathy buys things that she doesn't ask me because she knows the parameters. She knows what I think. But if there were things where the husband or the head of the household would put the kibosh on it, don't buy it, okay? There's an authority structure that needs to be kept in place, and the advertisers are brilliant at trying to circumvent that and go through that. And don't buy candy for the children because you're afraid they're going to make a scene in the store if you don't buy candy for them. There's another issue that needs to be dealt with. Uh, don't allow them to go through. In fact, you need to prepare your kids ahead of time to uh, uh, be aware of what the, the TV is trying to do. And I wouldn't let my kids watch TV all by themselves. Uh, the advertising is the worst part. It may be a great show, but those advertisers, just look at what they're doing. They are trying to circumvent and undermine your authority. They're trying to have the children make their own decision. Let's move on to point three. Uh, have you noticed that with certain products, telemarketers hang up if the wife answers? It happens all the time at our house, and uh, they, want to, uh, they want to talk to me, and they think they're, 
that uh, I'm going to be an easy sell or maybe I'm the one that's making the, the last decision on that. But in any case, I think dialogue and talking through, especially big purchases, are very important. Talking through with those that you... And don't do it like Eve did it. She talked with Adam after she'd made the decision. It's too late then, right? Uh, now, if the family has had good communication, you know what the economic parameters are, there's a lot of times you can buy things without any any discussions because you've had such good communication. But keep those points in mind. The fourth tactic used by advertisers and salesmen is to put the competition into the worst possible light. Isn't that, isn't that right? Uh, it just seems to come natural. We want to elevate the good points of ours and we want to elevate the bad points of theirs. And uh, Satan, as a master of selling sin, does exactly that. Take a look at uh, the rest of verse 1. He said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I want you to notice that Satan has taken God's very positive statement, has rephrased it as a negative statement. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 16, for what God really says. Technically, what Satan says is accurate. In other words, you couldn't take him to court and say, This guy, you know, lied, false advertising. No, it's technically right. But the connotation of the way he words it makes it look the very opposite. Look at chapter 2 and verse 16. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. And then verse 17 says, Except for this tree. You can eat of every tree except for one. Satan rephrases that and says, Well, let's take a look at it again. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Well, that's technically true. There is one that you couldn't, so it couldn't, you can't eat of every tree. But he makes it look like God's holding back practically everything from Adam and Eve. And I think we typically, when we're in a sinful state of mind, we do this with each other. And a ch- child, you know, who's had a fight with a sibling comes to the parent and does that. And uh, uh, puts the competition into the worst possible light and puts their own position into the best possible light that they can. And you can see this across the board. You'll see it with politicians. You'll see it with medical doctors putting down chiropractors. And you'll see it with chiropractors putting down medical doctors. It just seems to be so natural. Now, how do we develop sales resistance to this tactic? Well, first, don't take the salesman's word for what the competition believes. Ask the competition. Do comparison checks on all of the different points. Expect that they're going to be uh, somewhat slanted. Now, I want you to keep your finger here, and I want you to turn over to Proverbs 18 and verse 17. This verse indicates that the fourth thing that can help us to, to uh, resist uh, this sales tactic is to be skeptical of our own ability to understand. Uh, we don't tend to be skeptical of our own abilities. We tend to be skeptical of everybody else's. By the way, I, I read an excellent, outstanding article this past week by um, Andrew Sandlin uh, that was criticizing the KISS principle. Um, you know what KISS is, keep it simple, stupid. And uh, he said, well, on some things, it's important to keep things simple, but life is complex. And he says, if we keep it simple, we're going to get ourselves in many areas of life into tremendous trouble. We're going to get into government tyranny. We're going to have reductionism. We're going to have all kinds of problems because of lack of information. He used, uh, for example, price controls as, uh, as one typical example. Man, how simple it would be if milk was always $2 a gallon. 
you know, and something else was always $3 a gallon. It would help with change at the counter. I mean, but he shows the disastrous effects. He says life is complex. And uh, why we need to get input from more people is because of the complexities out there. We've got limited minds, and we've got to investigate. Anyway, take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 17. It says, The first to plead his cause seems right until his neighbor comes and examines him. Now, I want you to notice he didn't say the first to plead his cause seems right to an idiot. It seems right to anyone. Why does the first to plead his cause seem right? Well, that's because unless you already know the other side of the story, you're already familiar with the political issues that are involved. You're already familiar with, uh, with uh, the product as a whole. The only information you have is what that person has told you. And it seems right. He's going to phrase it in a way that's going to make sure that it seems right. And so he says that we need to, uh, we need to be careful. I'm reading a book by a, a, a millionaire who I think got there the, the right way, biblical way. But one of the things he points out is we're never going to have enough information to be able to make all of our decisions as comfortably as we'd like to make. We have to make decisions based on limited information. But, he said, we need to be preparing ourselves by studying in the areas where we want to grow in prosperity. We've got to, uh, we've got to understand and we've got to have a degree of uh, skepticism. And if a salesman from a multi-level organization, you know, tells you that, uh, you know, within a year you ought to be making six figures and you'll be financially independent, you know, in six years, very common claim, uh, you need to ask him, you know, if he'd show you his tax return and if he can show you 20 people in his line that have made those kind of figures. But do a little bit of research and have some degree of skepticism. Anyway, we're going to have to move on fairly quickly on some of these. Fifth tactic is the tactic of creating doubts about established wisdom and or pitting the wisdom of children or subordinates. And in this case, Eve was a subordinate to God against the wisdom of an older generation, in this case, God being, you know, the older generation. Now, I haven't watched TV for years, so I don't know any TV ads that I can, I can look at, but um, I remember years ago there was an ad uh, on cigarettes. You've come a long way, baby. I don't know if that Salem cigarettes uh, that they were trying to market. But the implication of the ad was that in a previous generation, they were in shackles to the social mores at that time where it's not socially acceptable for a woman to smoke or or maybe uh that women are smarter now you've come a long ways in other words pitting today against the old and of course you've probably seen advertisements galore aimed at children this way that they can make decisions for themselves they're wise wiser than uh than their parents are and so they create doubts about established wisdom now i'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because i think this is an area we're strong on uh, our view of the covenant is a huge... Did I put that up there? Did I even put on that chart? Uh, what I'm giving you is uh, things that we can... Yeah, value the heritage of previous generations. So value the covenant and uh, uh, our, our view of authority, I think, ought to help as well. Sixth tactic that is used... And we're only going to get through eight of the 20, okay? We're not going to get through all 20 tactics today. But sixth, uh, salespeople aren't usually content with a yes or no, right? 
They are trained in how to be provocative, how to ask questions so that they can draw you out in conversation. They want you to be in conversation because the more you converse, the easier it will be to find a weak point that they can take advantage of. And Eve's first mistake was to talk, to converse with Satan. You know, she tries to convince Satan that he's wrong. No, that's not what God says. And she starts talking with him. And uh, Satan doesn't need to be convinced he's wrong. He knows he's wrong. He's baiting her so that he can get her involved in conversation, which is necessary if he's going to be able to sell his product. And verses 2 through 3 show her willingness to engage him in conversation. By the way, it also shows a critical weak point he's going to exploit uh, later on. And uh, he wouldn't have known about that weak point if she hadn't have engaged him in the conversation. But let's just stick with this issue right now. Why does Satan use this tactic? And why is it so effective in sales? Very effective. We got one salesman walking out already. He's offended. (laughs) No, just kidding. Like Eve, I think that Christians have a tendency to want to be liked, right? And if they're, you know not engaging this person and they're not being polite they just feel that uh, this person's going to think that they're rude we've been trained to be nice we've been trained to be not be rude and it's this very niceness i think which is a weakness that unscrupulous salespeople and scrupulous ones shoot if i was a sales person i'd take advantage of their politeness wouldn't you it's something that they will exploit and 20 minutes later or an hour, or two hours later, you're feeling bad as they're sitting in the living room with you. You've not asked them to come, and you didn't respond to any ad. And you're, how in the world did this guy get into my living room? And there are some people who are very clever, very clever in, in doing that. Now, how do you develop sales resistance? Well, first of all, I would say, don't feel like you need to be polite with people who persist in being rude. And you might respond, but he wasn't rude. He was so polite. I mean, he was courteous. He complimented me. Uh, He was considerate. Uh, He was just such a nice guy. Well, his niceness and his mannerisms and his compliments may just be a cover for rudeness being stamped all over it if the following are true. Number one, he's imposed himself on you at a time that's inconvenient and uh, is not considerate of, of your time. And secondly... Uh, he's trying to talk you into buying something you don't want to buy. And um, uh, if he's um, uh, uh, not listening to you when you say, I'm not interested. And if he's getting you to get pr- give him private information you wouldn't ordinarily give out. Some people are just amazing at drawing out of you with their questions information like, why did I tell him that? I mean, that's something I wouldn't even tell my friends. And this guy's drawn it out of me. Uh, His politeness is a part of his manipulation, and you should feel no compulsion to engage him in conversation. And if you need to talk with that salesperson, you say, I want to buy from him, you control the conversation, okay? You're the one that needs to be asking the questions. If he wants to sell his product, he needs to be willing to answer those questions. And if he's always interjecting his own questions, Uh, So he takes control of the conversation. You can say, hey, my opinions are irrelevant on this. I want to know what this product is about. I'm the one asking the questions here. And uh, and, uh, take control of the the conversation. If he persists, too, and you don't want, just walk on. Hang up. There's nothing wrong with doing that with somebody who's imposed himself 
on you. I remember this one lady, a telemarketer, uh, called me up, and I don't know, four or five times I, I said to her, I'm not interested. No, thank you, please. I'm not interested. She wouldn't listen, so I just hung up. She called me back, and she chewed me out for being so rude that I hung up on her. Oh, well, man. So that was about the time I got ticked off. It takes a long time for me to get ticked off, but I, I told her she was the rude one, and I wanted to talk to her manager. But anyway, with Satan, you don't need to be polite. You know, he's always intruding his temptations into your mind. You didn't ask him to tempt you, and you just need to treat him rudely. Say, get behind me, Satan. I'm not going to even converse in my thoughts with these temptations that are coming up here. But certainly, when you're talking with salespeople, you control the conversation, not them. And I'm sure from some of the salespeople here, you could get some great tips on, on what to do for sales resistance. Seventh tactic uh, that advertisers use is to either reject warnings, or in the case of the tobacco industry, and there's many others, to minimize the warnings by putting them into small print, and not just a small line. Man, they'll put tons in there so that you're not even going to want to read all of the small print that's down there. But anyway, it's to reject or to minimize the warnings that are out there. Actually, there's a furniture store here in town that uh, if you're going to buy anything on time from them, you better read the several pages of small print because what's going to happen this one year same as cash is that nine months down the road, they're going to send you a bill that's a little bit late and you're not going to get it to them in time. It's their fault, but because you're late, you owe retroactively 28% interest for that whole year that you've supposedly, okay, I mean, you've got to read the small print or just don't bother if there's tons of small print. But anyway, take a look at verse 4. Satan says here, you shall not surely die. Now, his tactic is to reject the idea of any problems with his product that he is selling. And if you read the, uh, why don't you turn there with me, Proverbs 7, the tactics of the story of the harlot in this passage, I think, are remarkable text for studying advertising techniques. She's advertising her wares, and she just uses them masterfully. Uh, okay, first of all, well, let's just deal with this particular one here. There's dangers of going to a harlot, all kinds of dangers. She is trying to minimize those so that her, uh, what she is selling will be attractive. Uh, what are some of the dangers? Disease would be one of the dangers that's there, and she minimizes this by claiming that she's married and not a harlot. And you can see that in verse 19. Secondly, by claiming that this customer is the only one and that she's been looking for him. She's been looking for anybody, but she claims she's been looking for him, has a crush on him. That's verse 15. Thirdly, by describing the sweet-smelling luxury of her apartment, etc., in verses 16 through 17. So she's associating the product with cleanness, with beauty, with sweet smells, much like the tobacco industry does, you know, with their outdoor advertising campaigns, right? Okay, and so the first danger she is minimizing is disease. Another danger of fornicating with this woman is if she is truly married, husband could come along and kill her. Kill him, I mean. Now, she's used the claim of a husband as a plus against the danger of disease, but she knows if he's worried about that, it could kill the sale. So she assures him her husband's on a long journey. He's taken provisions, bag of gold. He won't be back till the appointed day, verses 19 through 20. Now, if you study through the passage, you'll see she's not even married. She's just using this because she's trying to do what will suit the person she's advertising for. Another danger that's minimized is the danger of God's judgments. But in verse 14, she paints herself as being a religious woman who loves the Lord 
and tries to salve his religious conscience with God talk of forgiveness and of God's understanding for our weakness. Look at verse 14. I have peace offerings with me. Now, what are peace offerings for? They're God's forgiveness, right? God's acknowledging, yes, you're a sinner, you need forgiveness, and he's accommodating himself to our weaknesses. And so she says, I have peace offerings with me. Today I have paid my vows, so I came out to meet you diligently to seek your face. So she's painting herself as a good girl who has weaknesses. The Lord understands, but I just got this crush on you. That's the kind of thing that she's doing. Now, sometimes advertisers are not allowed by law to reject out of hand what the dangers are. And so instead of doing that, they will put them into uh, small print and... uh, make it big and confusing uh, so that they'll count on people not reading. And that's true even on the radio. I, I always get a kick out of the radio ads. You know, it could be, I don't know, maybe some allergy medicine or whatever. And they're beefing up how wonderful this is. And then, man, incredibly fast reading all of the side effects and the bad things that are going on, you know, the warnings, because they don't want you to listen to those. And it's, it's very humorous. But that's a small print. How do you develop sales resistance to people who either reject warnings or minimize them? Let's go through this quickly. One thing you can do with your children ahead of time is to teach them what the advertisers are doing. And I think that's exactly what's going on in Proverbs 7. You look at this. It's a father and a son who are looking out of their window, and the father says, see this harlot over there? I want you to notice what she is doing. And he's describing to her that she's actually... Looking attractive initially, but it's leading to the ways of death. He's using an ad. And I would encourage you to take out an ad that is misleading, show it to your children, have them study through it, so that when they're confronted with ads themselves, they won't get taken in quite so easily. Let's look at one last tactic. Eighth tactic is to make fantastic claims Make fantastic claims that are appealing to the flesh, but make sure you do them boldly and make sure you do it confidently. Satan says in verse 14, you will not surely die. Now, this is such a bold-faced contradiction of what God the Creator had said. You'd think Satan's being a little bit dangerous in doing that. Not really. You say things boldly enough and confidently enough, you're going to find somebody that's going to believe you. You're going to find somebody out there. The harlot of Proverbs 7 may say that she loves you. The politician may say he's going to solve the economy. He's going to fix the educational problems or a dozen other, you know, difficult things that are out there. Uh, The MLM advocate may promise you wealth. And uh, if you've lived very long, you have heard fantastic claims that you wish were true. Now, that's the catch, right? You wish they were true. That's why it sucks you in. You wish it were true. Maybe it's the alternative medicine advertisement that promises a cure for something your doctor says there is no cure for. And uh, you buy into it. Maybe there's pseudo-research. You've not bothered to do the research, but, oh, here's a little research paper. But if you study it through, you'll see it's all made up. There's no research whatsoever to it. Uh, And I've had relatives who have been suckered with the same line dozens and dozens and dozens of times. It doesn't matter how many times they've been taken, they're going to be taken one more time. I don't know how many times I've been approached by one person on why this newest multi-level organization he wants me to get into is just going to make me a millionaire. And I've asked him, you know. I mean, it doesn't matter that the last 20 have made him poorer. He's always lured on by the fantastic claims that he wishes were true. And just because I'm skeptical, by the way, does not mean that these claims are false. They may be perfectly true, 
I mean, there's a lot. And sometimes truth is stranger than fiction, right? It just means we've got to be cautious. I think we need to be just as cautious of traditional medicine and traditional ways of doing things. In other words, we need to think through. We just can't go with the flow. So how do you develop sales resistance to such claims? Well, the proverb we just read commands us not to believe every word. It calls for healthy skepticism. Now, that does not mean having a closed mind. Like I mentioned uh, earlier, we need to be open to new ideas. Uh, just because we're limited, we need to be listening to new ideas that are on uh, in the health realm. We need to be doing it in many different areas. But it's saying, be cautious. And I recommend that you demand documentation in writing for these claims. The week, in fact, that's uh, kind of um, uh, funny. The week before... When we were in Minnesota, I turned on the TV, and there was this half-hour program. Later on, I found out it was an advertising. Well, I pretty quickly guessed it was an advertising program. And they were selling this fantastic herbal remedy that gives you incredible memory. It takes the fogginess from your mind. It makes you think quickly. You're alert. You're uh, very attentive. I mean, who, who here would not like a pill to be able to solve that kind of problem? I mean, I would. That'd be terrific. And they even threw in that you can have um, a, a free month supply, you know, to try this out. It's so good, we're confident we're going to stand behind it. And so knowing I was going to be preaching on this, I called them up and, and uh, uh, you know, said that I'd like to get my free month supply of... Uh, and they said, well, there's no free month supply. I said, well, that's what they said on the TV. Oh, yeah, well, what that is is if you buy a month's worth of this stuff and you don't like it, then... You can call us and say you don't like it. We'll give you your money back. So it's free that way. So I, I said, oh, okay. Well, could I have maybe a week's supply uh, for free? No, we only have months or for the other. They wouldn't sell me a, a week. I said, well, could I have some uh, documentation that you could uh, send me on this product? Oh, no, that's the reason we have this program. That's all the documentation that you need. It's filled with documentation. Yeah, right. Uh, testimonials, but not documentation. Um, anyway, we, I, I talked with this guy, and he really wanted to sell me three months' worth. It's a whole lot cheaper than, than one month's worth. And if you don't like it, it's free. If I don't like it, I don't want it, you know. If it's, uh, but anyway, uh, you get the point. The three principles I recommend to make you sales resistant to fantastic claims, I think, flow out of Proverbs 14:15. Demand documentation in writing. Demand a written contact. No, that's not always true, but especially more expensive things. Third, remember the maxim that if it seems too good to be true, it probably is too good to be true. Now, as I, I said, I don't have time to go through all 20, some of the upcoming uh, tactics that we're going to be looking at in verses 5 through 6, I think get to the heart of some of the subtlest and most powerful advertising tactics that are out there. And I want to end by exhorting you to realize these principles are not just economic principles. We need to develop sales resistance to science. I don't know how many times I've had people tell me, but this is a proven scientific fact. Well, what in the world is that supposed to mean? Proven scientific fact. Over the past hundred years, proven scientific facts have changed numerous times, which means they weren't facts in the first place, right? Even in the past 20 years, as I've been looking at the claims of medicine, and nutrition. Proven scientific facts have changed two or three times on some of the issues. You look at, uh, for example, their claims on AIDS. Uh, initially, it was only a thousand male partners. That's the only way that you could get it. 
And then they said, well, no, it could be less than that, and then it could be heterosexual. I mean, they've changed several times. Wine. You look at what the uh, doctors have said about wine. There are, on so many issues, there have been changes. Uh, that doesn't mean medicine is not useful. It's very useful. But w what it means is there is nothing but the Bible that is absolutely certain in life. Everything else is educated guesswork, opinions, and we may get varying degrees of certainty, but there is nothing totally certain except for the Bible itself. And uh, so apply this across the board to uh, everything. Be just as skeptical of traditional medicine as you are of alternative medicine. Uh, get the facts. Study things out. Now, why don't you turn that on again? Let's just go through each of the tactics, starting with number one, and quickly analyze what they presuppose, and I'm, I'm just about done. What does tactic number one presuppose? And that's the last column. I think two things. First of all, that people will be influenced to decision-making frequently by emotion rather than by reason. By emotion. Do not underestimate the power of your emotions to let you down. We tend to think with our emotions too frequently in decision-making. Second, many people have a readiness to follow anything said by a sports figure, a popular singer, a politician, a successful man. They want somebody else to do the thinking for them, make the decisions for them, because life is so complex, they look to somebody else to, to do that for them. And let me tell you, the more that you are dependent upon and lust after the, 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 the opinions and the, uh, the authority of man, the more you're going to be sucked in. We need to be looking to the Lord, uh, the, the Lord's opinions in his favor more than others. Otherwise, we're susceptible. Tactic two presupposes independent thinking and acting feels good. Tactic three presupposes that people succumb to the temptation more readily when there is no accountability, no opportunity for discussion, no objective input, and no time to think things through. And that's true of sin. It's true of sense. Tactic four assumes that people ordinarily want to believe what appeals to their flesh. They're very, very, very open to self-deception. I've seen this in my own heart. I've seen it in others. Very open to self-deception if it satisfies our desire. Okay? People want to believe what appeals to them, and they want to be deceived if the alternative is not attractive. Tactic five assumes that people have a tendency toward individualism. Tactic six assumes that you want to be liked, and you want to be well thought of. And that ego problem makes you susceptible, again, to the salesperson. Tactic seven assumes that men and women are used to suppressing warnings all the time in order to follow after their pleasures, right? I mean, it's just part of our nature. And thus, there is very little danger for an advertiser to put into small print all of the writings. In fact, the more small print that is, the safer he is. There's, there's no danger whatsoever. It's the sinfulness of the human heart, or in the case of Eve, it's the naivete of her heart because she had no experience at this point. Tactic 8 assumes not only Barnum's maxim that there's a sucker in every crowd, but that most people will believe a fantastic claim no matter how unbelievable it is if the alternatives to believing don't satisfy desires. Now you look at the gospel that's given in Genesis 3, 17 through 21, and you'll see it reverses that completely by crucifying the flesh and making us totally dependent upon God, Almighty God. And uh, God does not tell Adam in verse 17 that he loves Adam and has a wonderful plan for his life. He tells Adam what a dirty, rotten scoundrel he is, what a rebel to his cause he is. 
And he tells Adam that unless he repents of that independent thinking, his environment's going to be judged and all of his labors will be judged and cursed. Okay, he tells him, you need to put your faith in the coming Messiah who alone can save you. In fact, our salvation is 100% outside of ourselves. It's a foreign righteousness that is given to us. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ credit going on and the advertising around you and not be taken in quite so easily. Let's pray. Father God, we uh, thank you for the practicality of your word. Your word is truth. Your word sanctifies us. Your word shows us the way in which we should walk. And I pray that you would help us not only to understand it, but to love it, to embrace it, to live it out. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.